You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I'm recording this brief forward to the most recent updates to Finding Amber from my hotel room. I've just left the island. I'm on my way to a family holiday in Ireland. But I've just received some troubling news from a family member of Justin Hall's. I've learned that Justin Hall, Amber Manthorne's boyfriend, the man who may have been the very last person known to be with her before she vanished, is now dead. I don't know the circumstances of his passing, and I don't know what this means for the search for Amber. But as you listen to these latest episodes, please bear in mind they were recorded before Justin Hall's death. Once I'm back home and learn more, I will update the series. Please take good care while listening. Amber Manthorne's family and friends have been planning her celebration of life for months. It's to be held at a community hall just outside of town, Amber's old stomping grounds. It's to be an intimate gathering for those who knew and loved Amber. I've been invited, and that's a real honor, a privilege I don't take lightly. And then... This usually buzzing Highway 4 to the West Coast is at a standstill today, with flaggers and RCMP stopping any traffic trying to get through, because the fire overhead is bringing boulders and large fur crashing down onto the highway below, and it could be days before the highway is reopened. Our little town, Amber Manthorne's hometown of Port Alberni, is cut off. Amber's family and friends make the difficult decision to postpone the farewell. The fire could take some time to get under control. And it's more than that. The road itself is a nightmare of fallen trees and rocks. The stretch that Amber's white Jeep compass traveled on the weekend of July 7th, 2022, is no longer passable. Amber's hometown will mark the anniversary of Amber's disappearance in isolation, still grappling with what happened to Amber a year ago. And where is she now? I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime Season 4, Finding Amber. You're listening to Episode 8, Fire. Trying to understand Amber's movements after the evening of Thursday, July 7th, is key to finding Amber. Amber's last confirmed whereabouts have her at home on the evening of Thursday, July 7th, 2022. She is at her place out on Great Central Lake, just outside of Port Alberni. Amber is reported missing on July 8th when she doesn't show up for work. Her vehicle, a 2021 white Jeep Compass, is found on the afternoon of Friday, July 8th, abandoned on the side of a rural road not far from the Nanaimo airport. Initially, police are looking for both Amber and Justin Hall, her boyfriend, who they say at the time she is believed to be with. Then, police issue another release 
on Tuesday, July 12th. Justin Hall has been located. And the Major Crimes Unit has been called in to assist. The area where Amber's Jeep is found is in a small community called Cassidy. That's about an hour and a half from Amber Manthorne's home. And that's where a woman named Ginny believes she may have spotted the pair. So my name is Virginia Stanley. I do not know Amber or Justin. I am a former employee at the uh, Cassidy Farm Market on the Island Highway across from the Nanaimo Airport. I worked on the Friday and I came home and saw a posting on social media of a gal missing from Port Alberni. I believe at the time that's all it said was Port Alberni. And I looked at it and um, not to make light of it in any way, but we, we these are all constantly coming up on social media. But I took note of the photo. She was standing with her car and it was the first photo I ever saw of her. Saturday, I went to work and sometime during the day, uh, between one and three, I believe, um, I had a possible sighting. At the time, it, it, it had nothing to do with the picture I'd seen or anything else. Eyewitnesses can be unreliable. But Ginny tells me she's confident in what she recalls seeing that day. I've worked in customer service for over 40 years, and sometimes I take note of things from people about people. And this couple stood out in my mind. I went home that evening and saw more photos online. And I said to my husband, I think I saw this fellow today. I didn't necessarily clue into Amber right away, but I said, I think I saw this fellow because, like I said, they came in between one and three. She actually did not come in the store, this this gal. She stood outside. She paced back and forth in front of the store with the cell phone up to her ear. I never saw her speak into it, so I thought that was kind of off. Then I, I, I was looking at how pretty she was dressed. She just looked so nice, and it's going to sound silly, but I was thinking, geez, one, there was a time when I could dress and look like that. <laughs> it was a white floral blouse, jeans, sandals with a cork wedged heel and black, I almost want to say velvet straps. She had glasses on that were oversized black framed, not sunglasses, just glasses. She had her makeup done. I wouldn't say too extreme or she had lipstick on. Her hair was done, curled at the ends, quite long hair. I know that when the police asked me her height, I said 5'7". I'm not great at that. Uh, but again, she was wearing this wedged heel. And I really took note of what she was wearing for some reason. So according to Ginny, the man enters the store while the woman, resembling Amber, paces outside. The fellow came in to get two ice cream cones. For me, I was looking at him thinking, this guy's really fit and he's come in for an ice cream cone. <laughs> Anyway, he came up to the ice cream counter, ordered himself an ice cream cone, 
and then looked out to her and asked her, I believe he said, do you want bubblegum ice cream? She didn't acknowledge him at all. I said, we don't have bubblegum. We have cotton candy is the closest. And he said, oh, just go with cotton candy. The entire time he was there, he had a cell phone up to his ear. And, you know, uh, it's not always great to deal with people when they're on a phone and you're trying to serve them. And the whole time he was kind of mumbling into this cell phone, not saying anything really loud. All the while, Ginny is serving the male customer. The woman remains outside the shop with the phone held tight. She's still out front, just walking back and forth slowly with the cell phone to her ear. And I actually thought to myself, well, she's listening to music. Most people that do that on their cell phone would have a headset or something, you know, and it was just really weird. He came, you have to walk around a corner to pay your bill. And I I told the police, I thought he was about six foot. Again, I'm not great at height, but... I saw tattoos on his arms. I didn't really take note of what they were, but he had tattoos on at least one arm. He was wearing jeans and a T-shirt. What I noticed about him were his eyes. Besides the fact that he was very fit, his eyes were so bloodshot. Like, And I thought to myself, because I'm going through things in my own life right now, I thought... Is that what I look like when I cry? Is he on drugs? Like, it was just, his eyes were so extremely bloodshot. I, don't, I, I, I really don't know why at that point I was paying so much attention to these two people. I never saw a vehicle. Ginny is confident enough in what she's observed to call in her information to the police. You're not sure what you should do. Should you do anything? I went back to work the next day. I talked to my boss and he said, you know, if if you feel confident enough, you should call the police. I told them pretty much what I've just told you. And I was told over the phone that if they felt my tip was credible, that they would call me back. A week and a half later, they called me back. I might have been on speakerphone when they called me because I could hear voices in the background. It was a female officer. I'm sorry, I didn't take note of her name. She asked me to repeat everything I had told them a week and a half before. Thinking back, she reflects on why this random customer interaction was so memorable. Just the fact that she did have this black cell phone up to her ear and she was pacing back and forth in front of the store. And I think I thought to myself, well, you know, we're kind of a funky little farm market. You'd think she'd want to come in, you know, maybe have a look around or something, but she never came, never came in, stayed right out front. I wouldn't say 100% that I saw Amber, but I saw an odd situation um, and found it odd before I knew anything about the story. In the months following the podcast, Ginny listens to Amber's story and feels compelled to reach out. 
I've listened to your podcasts. I, I have heard a couple of times that people saying, you know, how lovely she liked to dress or, or you know, and she didn't need a lot of makeup to look, you know, to look good or whatever. And, and so that kind of has caught my eye as well. Now, whether it was Amber or not, I mean, this girl probably could have been her twin, but I was paying more attention, I think, to this fellow than I was to her. The whole description I've given you is exactly how I remember it and, and, and took note of it. If Ginny did see Amber and Justin together on Saturday, it would be significant in establishing Amber's movements in place and time. I've made repeated attempts to speak with Justin Hall, Amber's boyfriend, who was with her the evening she vanished. He hasn't responded, which, to be clear, is absolutely his right. People have all kinds of very good reasons not to want to speak to reporters. But I'm not the only one who wants to hear from the man. Some of Amber's friends have also contacted him directly, but to no avail. Many people who never knew Amber, but are now following her case, also want to hear Justin's perspective. Michael is one of those folks. Here's a message I received from him. I listened to your podcast about Amber. Now, the pest that I am, I've been messaging Justin Hall, trying to elicit a response. I got one, and it's a big one. Michael is a born and raised Islander, but he's working out of town as a pipeliner when I reach him. I'm in a camp dorm in Pink Mountain. Pink Mountain is about an hour and a half north, northeast of Fort St. John, British Columbia. I am constructing underground pipe infrastructure that brings a fracked natural gas to homes all across Canada. Justin Hall has never responded to any of my numerous requests for an interview with him. Not once. So I'm curious as to how it came to be that Justin chose to connect with Michael, not a journalist, not a friend, just a stranger online. The way that I got Justin to start talking to me is the fact that I'm an antagonist. Big time, right? Like, I was calling him every name in the book, and he was ignoring it because I was trying to get a rise out of him. And then uh, and then I found out who his mom was, and I sent her a message. I didn't say anything mean to her because she's innocent. But he that's what got him to start talking, right? There will likely be some of you listening now who are feeling uncomfortable that Michael has involved Justin's mother in his attempt to engage with this man. It's not an uncommon thing for journalists to reach out to friends or family when trying to track down a source. I've done it many times. I'm polite and upfront about who I am and as much as possible about what my motivation is in making the request. 
I want to understand what Michael's motivation is in taking this step. At the risk of sounding like a simp, I, I just, I, I feel like helping women whenever I can, you know what I mean? Not to say that they're weaker or more vulnerable, but I mean, they are preyed upon a lot more than men are. And I just feel like as far as, as, as violence towards women, men aren't listening to women. I don't think that they are. So if they're going to listen to anyone, they're going to listen to their peers. And I wanted to be that. You know what I mean? I'm a straight white male, and these are the men, this is the demographic that is hurting women, and I always wanted to be a voice to stand beside them. He tells me this isn't the first time he's been involved in online activities he believes are aimed at helping women he thinks could benefit from his assistance. So... When I found out about Amber, I was compelled. And I reached out to Justin several times. Michael first begins badgering Justin Hall online on July 10th, just days after Amber's disappearance. I'm an antagonist. So I, in my very first message, I will read it verbatim if you want. I said, I said, where is Amber? Leave her somewhere safe now. At this point, Michael is still living on the island and Amber's story is huge here. And then Justin surfaces and sends an email to local TV station Czech News. I did not hurt my girlfriend. I do not know why she isn't back home. After our argument, I panicked, and I just wanted to get away from everyone. The email prompts another message from Michael. Your email was total bullshit. Anyone with half a brain can see that. What have you done with her? Pig. Again, I apologize. There's going to be some language. I'm an antagonist. Sometimes it gets results. I sent several others, like, if you're so worried about her and miss her so much, how come you haven't joined the search, right? Like, I'm trying to pander to his, the way he, the way his email claimed he was, that he loved her so much. I'm not going to include all of the messages Michael sent to Justin, in part in the interest of time, but also because the nature of the messages is disturbing. Michael has described himself as an antagonist, and how he's choosing to engage with Justin Hall is not language I'm comfortable including in this series. Michael views his provocative approach as a necessary evil in his determination to get Justin to reveal what, if anything, he may know about Amber's disappearance. So I'll preface this by saying I have sympathy and compassion for addicts and for people who are afflicted by addiction, but I know the type. And I know that they they can sometimes speak before they think. I know that they can slip up. I know that that if I can get him talking, I can get something. Because I know at this point, he's not talking to anyone. So I'm just trying to get some answers for Amber's friends and family. I'm trying, or and for the police, and trying to trying to get anything I can out of the man. But he's at the, at this point after that last message, he's still silent. So I said, you know what? Let's see what this does. And I messaged his mother. Now I will also say that I was not rude to his mother. That I was not uh, phys- verbally abusive to her towards her in any way, shape, or form. She's innocent in all this, as far as I know. So I didn't approach her with the same disregard that I did with him. At this point, it's been months since Amber's disappearance. 
It's January 1st, New Year's 2023. Here's how Michael describes the thinking behind his decision to reach out to Justin's mother. I'm not sure I recall what's going through my head at that time. I just know that maybe if I reached out to his mom, that might get a rise out of him. You know what I mean? I kind of had an inkling that he might have been a mama's boy, you know, the way uh, some of his posts displayed that, right? So if I went after his mom in a way that he might come to her defense, again, I don't have that message in front of me, but I can assure you that it wasn't rude or mean in, in any way. Michael's tactic pays off. He sends me screenshots of the thread between himself and Justin Hall's account. I've observed Justin Hall's behavior online for some time. I've watched his videos and listened to what he said in his email to check. It is my view that the tone and content are authentic. So I ask Michael to read from the thread directly. Here's how he says Justin responds. Says, hey man, I'd appreciate it if you didn't message my family. If you have something to say to me, then next time you're driving around, then pull over, walk up to me, and let's talk. Otherwise, harassing senior citizens is super bad action, dude. Give your head a shake and keep my name out of your mouth. It's not a dick. So after he sent me the message that I just read to you, I said, turn yourself in and give Amber back to her family. Then maybe you can have that respect. Until then, no chance. Justin responds with, fuck it. I'm not message warrioring with you. I said my peace. Peace spelt like P-E-A-C-E. I said, any normal human... The guilt would be eating them alive, but you're a narcissistic sociopath absent of empathy. Give Amber back to her family. Let them bury her. Let them say goodbye. A reminder, Justin Hall has never been charged in connection with Amber's disappearance. Michael, in this exchange, is stating his opinion that Justin knows more about what happened to Amber. The next message, the account in the name of Justin Hall, sends to Michael appears to come as one long message, perhaps voice to text. It's lengthy, but I've included it almost in its entirety as it represents the most detailed description of the events of that night of July 7th from someone who was there. It's been hell for everyone close to me and her. I wish the police would release the texts from that night. At least people would see what's really going on. I called her phone every day from the day she was reported missing. I left messages and texts. I cried myself to sleep. Then I found out that she was friends with the same people that were causing serious problems in my life. Two ex-girlfriends that have smeared me and accused me of countless things on social media. When I went to Amber's house there last night, I saw her. She had just finished texting me that she was packing her shit because I ruined her life. She demanded I give her rent money after kicking me out of the house. I literally moved my whole life from Nanaimo to live with her. Then I read all these fucked up messages and posts on her phone. We had an argument and she told me to leave. A week later, she's demanding money. She knew I got my check, but I was living in a tent in Port Alberni like a dog. I told her no. I said I will not pay rent unless I live there. 
I already given her $600 the previous week. She texted me that she has been sober for three years and now she's getting high. I caught a cab to her place and the curtains were all closed. There was a chair blocking the door so I couldn't open it. I went to the kitchen window and looked through a little crack and seen her on the couch with this guy. So I started to bang on the door. This kid, this kid started beaking me off and finally Amber stepped in. She looked all fucked up. We went back out and talked. Sorry, out back and talked. She cried. Buddy continued to tell me to leave or they'd call the cops. When I wouldn't leave, because technically I had the right to be there, I took a job there and I moved all my shit into her house. That's in parentheses. She left with him. There was a post from him on her Facebook business page, and I gave the police a description of his truck. I also seen him at Petro Canada earlier that day, so I, it'd be on camera. After they left, I was tripping balls. Her keys were on the kitchen table, so I jumped into her Jeep and went to my friend's house. I was pulling around in a dead-end road, and her car just stopped. Someone hit a kill switch, because the car had a full tank of gas and it was brand new. I couldn't even roll up the windows. All the electrical and everything just shut off. Rolled it off the road and asked a neighbor to call a tow truck. He just looked at me weird and drove away. I told the police the house and the guy I asked so they could check but it must have been the police that killed the car so I didn't understand what the fuck was going on it was two days later that I was told we were reported missing and by that time I was already getting death threats on FB here I am thinking I'm in trouble for having her car and it was so much worse I had fake accounts threatening my life I and I honestly didn't believe anything was wrong with Amber. I was too angry to be worried. I still have mixed feelings like I'm just the butt of some joke that's being played. So I spoke to the major crimes several times. I was definitely not welcome to help with the search. As a matter of fact, I had a posse out for me. I kept to myself and laid low. I fell deeper into depression and ended up on the street. Finally, I caught pneumonia. Actually, I had three pneumonias. Three large masses on my lungs. I almost died. I woke up in emergency and realized that I need to pull myself together. I cry every day about so many things, mainly the fact that I'm completely helpless in all of this. And every day that goes by, it's more likely that something bad had happened to her. I don't know her friend circle. I know she had a lot of unsavory people she was associating with and keeping from me. I'm pretty sure they've eliminated me, eliminated me as the main person of interest, but the community isn't convinced. I made my statement to the press about not being with her last immediately after I was being called a rat by random fake accounts. I refuse to defend myself to these people. I am completely traumatized by everything that's happened. I had a clinical team following me for weeks that I wrote a that wrote a report on me and published it. I had 200 plus complaints, reports to the RCMP in less than months in less than a month's time. When the police couldn't find anything solid to produce to the Crown, they brought in the Victoria PD to help. Then the Community Watch got involved, an Indigenous group, and the Office of the Crown. That's when 
all my electronic devices got hacked and they started to mess with my life. They decided that if they couldn't link me to her disappearance, they'd push me till I snapped or build a case that they could put me in a hospital. And it almost worked, but I'm not giving up. I don't feel inside that she is gone. I had a strong connection with her and I think she just made a bad decision with some worse people. To be clear, this is a message I believe was sent by Justin Hall the man in the company of Amber Manthorn before her disappearance. It's being read by Michael, a man who provoked the message, a self-described online antagonist. Again, that lengthy message from Justin Hall's Facebook account appears as one long message, Bubble. The suggestion that Amber was with another man when she left her home the night of July 7th a man described as a kid, is not something I've heard from any other source. As to the police eliminating Justin Hall as a person of interest, to my knowledge, the police have neither named Justin Hall as a person of interest, nor have they made a statement eliminating him from the investigation. During this portion of the exchange, Michael has no opportunity to ask questions or seek clarification. I think it took me a minute to absorb because the next thing I wrote was just let them have some fucking peace. The correspondence continues with the two trading barbs. Here's Michael continuing to read the words he received and believed to be from Justin Hall. I have sobered up. I am not welcome at NA or AA meetings, believe it or not, but I did it on pure will and perseverance. I have a small place and a job and definitely don't date and haven't been with anyone since Amber. I'm not good with social media and I don't have a lot of people that care about me, so I couldn't advocate against such a force. After all the death threats, I just tried to avoid as much as possible. Anyone that believes that I actually hurt that girl doesn't know me at all. You know what you've been led to know. You know a story that's been fed to you on social media. And then I responded, and I can just, without reading it beforehand, I'll read what I responded, okay? You know what I have seen from you, man? Your letter to the media, it was as good as a confession. Saying you lost the only person that you had left that cared about you. Lost? It was a day later. No one knew she was lost except you. You spoke of her in the past tense countless times. I was tempted to cut this exchange short. Hearing these two guys engage in a battle of wills when there is so much on the line for Amber's friends and family could be seen as pointless. But again, with so little information available to inform Amber's disappearance, even this insight into Justin Hall's thoughts could be valuable. Here's Michael once again, picking up the conversation, reading Justin's words. Just be classy, man. Don't message my poor mom. She doesn't want to hear your conspiracy theory like I'm some criminal genius that got away with his girlfriend's disappearance. I can't even get away with stealing a chocolate bar, man. You people are just narcissistic sociopaths. I'm just a guy that is exhausted with your accusations. You want to get her back? It's as easy as finding the people feeding the information. The fact that you people followed me and terrorized me at a time that I was in serious distress and almost died is not forgotten. I've been in communication with a law firm about making a case against the Nanaimo RCMP and the groups that were involved. I loved her, dummy. Anyways, good luck on your endeavors, man. I have no ill will towards you. Take care. 
Michael tells me he has sent the information he gathered to the Port Alberni Police Department following a conversation with the lead detective. I mean, I want the best. I want Amber to walk into her mother's home and say, hey, sorry, I've been gone so long. I took a minute, you know, but I don't feel like that's what's going to happen. So realistically, barring that miracle, I would like her remains to be found. I would like the investigation to move forward because of that and find whoever is responsible to be punished. Michael's involvement here is stepping into tricky ethical terrain. I don't doubt his motivation. And I believe there is a public good in hearing the information Michael managed to glean from Justin Hall's account. I also appreciate the frustration he and many others feel now that Amber has been gone for a year. There's a place for the inquisitive, caring, capable public to assist in unsolved cases. I believe they can make a difference. But the space is also open to bad faith actors, and the stakes are so very high. I'd love to hear from you on this. What do you see as the appropriate role for concerned citizens to play when it comes to unsolved cases? Is there a role at all? If you would like to weigh in on this discussion, just hop on over to the Island Crime Facebook page and share your perspective on this matter. And Justin Hall, your perspective on what happened the night Amber disappeared would be the most valuable source of information to date. I renewed my request to you before publishing, but I'm always reachable through islandcrime.ca or easily findable on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Finding Amber, an update to Season 4 of Island Crime. If you have any information about Amber Manthorne's disappearance, you can contact the Port Alberni RCMP at 250-723-2424.